Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Primary Care Podcast. Uh, before we get into another episode tonight, I uh, want to uh, hit up the primarycarepod at gmail.com inbox. That's where I get your feedback. Uh, I get your I get your listener responses. Uh, so anytime you, uh, you want to uh, write me some feedback, ask me a question, uh, want me to cover a topic or two, uh, hit me up there and, uh, we'll, and uh, I'll, I'll get back to you. Uh, today, uh, I also take jokes through the email, as you all know. So today's joke comes from an anonymous listener. Dr. List, I have a joke for you. Great, uh, let's do it. I told my wife that I had a crush on Beyonce. She said to me, well, whatever floats your boat, I guess. And I said, no, that's buoyancy. That was wonderful. I love that. Let's start the podcast. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced in my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Well, welcome back to the podcast, everybody, pod girls, pod boys, pod people. Uh, we're uh, Dr. Mark List here with you at the Primary Care Pod. Uh, you know, your favorite podcasting, uh, you know, source for all, all medical information uh, for, for basically, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't think anybody's ever liked a podcast more than, than my fans love this podcast. Uh, yeah, some people say I am, I am the best. I am the greatest. Many, many, many people are saying that. Um, that no one has ever had such a good podcast. On today's podcast episode, we are going to talk about um, the newest uh, guideline update today. Hot off the presses, October 27th, 2020. Uh, We are talking about colon cancer screening, colorectal cancer screening from the USPFTF. Now, I want everyone, if you haven't already, uh, go back, I believe it's like episode 10 or sorry, uh, 12 or 13, and I talked about guidelines that were released in November 2019 from the uh, BMJ, okay? Now, uh, that was the British recommendations. I talked during that podcast about how there's so many different complicating colon cancer recommendations. And I talked about how at that time, in 2018, there had been guidelines from the American Cancer Society recommending colon cancer screening start at age 45. And USPFTF at that point was still age 50. The BMJ recommendations at that time were actually no colon cancer screen until the individual risk went above 3%. And I talked about how I thought that was the future. I didn't like the American Cancer Society recommendations about because they used they used their recommendations in 2018 based on a, a modeling data and the absolute risk reduction of lowering the colorectal cancer um, uh, cases or deaths, mortality, was very low with the absolute risk reduction. Um, and that... Uh, uh, that there was that the models did that did show there was going to be benefit, and that it was driven by the fact that there was a 22% relative increase in colorectal cancers under the age of 50, and so young cancers were driving this model to show that there was benefit. And USPFTF came out today, and much to my chagrin, because if you go back and listen, uh, I will admit I was dead wrong in which way I thought USPFTF was going to go. I thought USPFTF would go with the more conservative approach and go with the British recommendations about more percentile-based individual risk scores. And they chose to go with the model data. 
and and look, the British population is different than the U.S. population. The U.S. population is showing younger colorectal cancer cases, mortality. Obviously, uh, in the news this last year, uh, you know, the Black Panther himself, Chadwick Boseman, he uh, was uh, died of colorectal cancer, uh, and and that really hit um, people really hard. And it's just another case of how colorectal cancer is becoming a younger and younger person's disease. And again, is this driven by any new randomized control trials? No, it's not. It's driven by the fact that epidemiological surveys, observational data is showing younger and younger colorectal cancers, especially in minorities, especially related to poverty, especially related to diet. But the modeling data that the USPFTF goes through in these uh, draft modeling reports. And uh, I, there's three links. If you go to the USPFTF website, one's about the recommendation. Uh, one is the modeling report and one is the, the evidence-based review. And the modeling report talks about how there are significant life years gained by switching. And all the models that they did, whether it was a mix of uh, col- uh, colonoscopies or FIT stool studies or the DNA-based uh, stool studies, all of them showed benefit by starting at age 45. And again, that hurts me because I, I this this gets back to the conversation. If you go back and listen to the last podcast last year, almost a year ago, and I thought that the American Cancer Society was being overly aggressive, was using low-quality modeling data, based on epidemiological changes to, and it was going to cause increased numbers of colonoscopies nationwide. It was going to cause increase in testing, which causes significant uh, potential cost issues. And that I thought that it was a reach. And I, and I, and I, I, I was wrong. I argued that ACS was overstepping and being overaggressive. And USPFTF, who is usually very conservative and usually takes all of this information into good account and are usually the, the least aggressive of all the, the cancer societies, at least in America, uh, for guideline recommendations, they are going with the modeling data. They're going with the epidemiological changes, not with the percentile-based risk score. So again, go back and listen to that episode from last year, episode 12 or 13, I believe. Uh, it's an 18-minute episode. It'll be well worth, worth your time to listen to. But again, this gets back to the point where I... Try to do the least worst thing for my patients. And the good news about this this recommendation from USPFTF is that they talk about, you know, you can you don't have to use colonoscopies. You don't have to go with the most expensive test. You can do the FIT testing. You can do the DNA-based stool testing. Those are those are just as evidence-based, if not better evidence. And and in, in the last since they've updated their guidelines in 2016, even Better, even better studies have come out supporting the stool studies even more so uh, than the colonoscopy data. So again, uh, the the, the modeling data shows all three improvements in life years gained by lowering the colorectal cancer screen to age 45. With USPFTF making these changes in the recommendations, that should lead us now to insurances covering it more and more and more, right? If USPFTF and American Cancer Society is now say 45, you can start, that's going to change the tide, Right. So look, uh, again, I I think it's a it's pretty aggressive. Um, USPFTF, I, I'm going to trust their recommendations. Um, I, I think that you know 
they haven't really steered us wrong in terms of being too over aggressive. These are in progress. These are not finalized. Uh, public comments are open until November two, 23rd, uh, 2020. And you know, your boy's going to leave a comment. Uh, cause that's what I do. Cause I'm a huge nerd bomber and, and, and my, and my thoughts on this, but again, especially if you are a family doc in a location with a high percentage of minority patients, a high percentage of patients in poverty. Okay. Those are all significant risk factors for early cancers, for aggressive cancers, for increased risk of not only cancer incidence, but also cancer mortality. So I think access to screening is incredibly important. I think insurance coverage for screening is very important. I think in the, in the data, they talk about there's still very high percentages of U.S. adults who have never had a colonoscopy, up to a quarter of eligible uh, Americans in lots of locations and even more in some other locations um, have never had a colonoscopy ever, not just that they're, they're delinquent, but have never had colorectal screening ever. And for those patients that either can't afford a colonoscopy, don't want to get a colonoscopy, strongly push the stool studies. Uh, they're usually cheaper, uh, sometimes covered by insurance, sometimes not but oftentimes uh, will at least uh, give you that, that sense of security that, you know, you've had that discussion, you've done the, you've done the, the discussion with the patient. Um, and again, uh, this is one thing where we know colorectal cancer screening is one of the ones that, that does save lives. Um, the number needed to screen uh, is a little bit higher than you'd normally expect. Um, it, and it really depends on the study that you read uh, and, and the type of test that you do. You know, in some studies, they talk about uh, sigmoidoscopy, the number needed to screen to prevent one uh, colorectal cancer mortality is about 850. If you look at a 2018 article from the AAFP, if you look at GWIAC uh, testing, just the fecal occult blood testing, that's the number needed to screen of 1,000 to prevent one colorectal cancer death, which is not very good. Colonoscopy, you can you can find different studies where it's about 350. Uh, there's a Taiwanese study that the number needed to screen is in the like hundreds. Um, and then uh, if you use, uh, uh, they talk about how the fact that in this, uh, there's some Taiwanese studies, if you go through the USPFTF um, evidence, there's some data that if you use a combination of the FIT testing first and then only do the scoping on patients who are positive, the number needed to scope. Uh, so if you have a cutoff point of if your FIT is above uh, 100 um, on, on the lab test back, if you have a cutoff, the number needed to screen, um, the number needed to do a scope on is really uh, dramatically uh, reasonable um, in this study. And again, this was done in, uh, this is a Taiwanese study in 2016, and they tested everyone with FIT, and for a cutoff of 100 nanograms per milliliter, the number needed to screen to identify one cancer uh, was 25 colonoscopies for all comers, and 10 colonoscopies for age 60 to 69. So the FIT was a really great entry screening tool, which really cut down on the number of needed, a number of colonoscopies needed, um, to catch and find a cancer. Um, so I, again, uh, there are, there are different ways that you can do colorectal cancer screening. It doesn't just have to be all colonoscopies. We in America usually, cause colonoscopies are widely available and oftentimes insurances pay for them. Um, and so we oftentimes it's the easiest and gives you the, the biggest, uh, biggest interval so patients like it the most but it might not be the most efficient um and again uh the uspftf recommendations as of american cancer society recommendations say choose whatever just pick something do the colorectal cancer screening that's the big thing to save lives so again this is a the take-home point is uspftf is thinking about 
lowering the age to age 45. Now that is grade B evidence from 45 to 50, A evidence from 50 to 74, and then above age 75, really individual discussions. Interestingly, in their in their evidence-based handout, they talk about how the evidence for older patients, like 75 to 80, et cetera, is better with the stool-based studies. Because again, there's a lot lower risk probably when it comes to colonoscopies. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And again, that kind of mirrors the Taiwanese study where uh, the utility of doing the FIT testing at screening in older ages becomes a lot more valuable uh, and, and requires a lot, uh, a lot fewer colonoscopies to see a benefit. So um, overall, I'm a little bit... Uh, I'm more, I'm more disappointed in myself, in my own, and my, and my own um, prediction. Um, I was, I was certain that USPFTF was going to go the way of individualized risk score and individualized screening because that seemed to be the way that we're doing medicine more and more nowadays. And so this was kind of a, I think, a different step back. But I understand the fact that especially in the United States, the demographics are changing about who is getting colon cancer. It is happening earlier. And so the life year gains are better starting at earlier ages. And the models all, and, and the modeling data is what's driving this not randomized control trial. So I think that's what bothers me the most by this, that, that, it's, that it's lower quality. It's, it's evidence, it's evidence, but it's lower quality evidence and not really backed up in person. So I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I'm okay with the change as long as it saves lives, as long as it's cost efficient for the for the not only um, for the for the United States, but also uh, cost efficient for patients and, and not leading to too many uh, negative uh, negative consequences. So again, uh, uh, recommending a change to start at colonoscopy at age 45. This should drive insurances to make changes here. Uh, it's not finalized until end of November. And so we'll see if they make any adjustments or changes. Um, we'll see if they listen to you, boy. Uh, they probably will not because I am a nobody. Uh, but I, I, I hope that they'll take uh, take everything into uh, into uh, account. Um, so grade B evidence to increase the or decrease the age of when we start colonoscopies. Probably practice changing. This is definitely practice changing. This is absolutely 100% practice changing guideline um, that that we'll all have to adjust to and patients will have to adjust to too. So uh, did you appreciate that? Uh, hopefully this... Uh, Hopefully this was a good uh, heads up uh, review of the newest study coming out literally this morning. Um, it took me by surprise. I'll have to say uh, it, there's probably it's probably beneficial. I'm a little bit uh, uh, reluctant to praise it because I was completely dead wrong a year ago. Um, but again, I think it's important to, to recognize when you're wrong and say I was wrong. So good on good for you, SPFTF. Uh, this has been Dr. Mark List with Primary Care Podcast. Reminding you, you don't need to stay up to you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Um, hit me up at primarycarepod at gmail.com with any feedback you got for me, uh, and I'll see you next episode. Thanks.